0: Welcome to the Labor Force Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Strukin, proud member of New York State United Teachers, celebrating 50 years this year. Today, an issue that sparked a firestorm of discussion on both ends of the political spectrum, the role of marriage and family structure in America. I'm in agreement with Melissa Kearney's argument that children raised by two married parents tend to do better, as she contends in her new book, The Two-Parent Privilege, that is, as long as it's a happy marriage. And today, it's all relative as far as the many factors that help support that happiness. So of course, simple solutions are not so simple, especially when considered against the policies, or lack thereof, that are set up against such a dynamic in America. And I'm sure you know just what I mean. But shame on you single parents. Don't you know it's all your fault? Couldn't you have just made better decisions with your life? you're a scourge on the country and your kids are suffering for it.
1: millions of boys growing up without dads in their house. You've identified an issue. There's a, a reams of data in here to really support your your conclusions. But what can we do about it as a society? And be more specific with respect to Bloomberg, with people who are running companies, who need to employ people. We need to keep the economy going. Why is this so important to us, and what can we do about it? OK, well, the first I'll start there all of the thing, you know all of the emphasis we have in our policy debates about increasing skills increasing employability increasing access to family sustaining wages all of that should take on heightened urgency when we realize that it's not just affecting the economic insecurity of individuals but is really spilled over into the social sphere men apart from families in a way that's really weakened society and has ramifications going forward so also investing in you know the skills of non-college educated adults today will have this generational effect of setting kids up in homes where they're better able to succeed in in the education system, to develop their own skills, to be more productive workers in the future and, um, you know, contribute more to a positive society. So all of that takes on heightened urgency when we recognize the impact it's having on families.
0: Gotta love Bloomberg and their pro-business bent. But that part about life-sustaining wages? I'm with you there. Yet then it's all about being a good worker bee in order to contribute to society. Let's go on.
1: Outside of that, I think it's really important, and again, potentially uncomfortable, but important that we reestablish a social norm of two-parent families for kids in this country. The fact that 30% of U.S. kids are now being raised outside a two-parent home, more than in any other country in the world, is not good for U.S. kids, it's not good for families, it's not good for the single parents whose economic security is undermined, and it's not good for society more broadly. We need to be honest about that commit to, you know, strengthening families as part of our policy response to increasing income inequality, eroding social mobility.
0: It's a compelling argument, all things being equal, but there's more to the story. As journalist Jill Filipovic writes for CNN in her op-ed, the problem with all this talk about two-parent privilege, and I'm in total agreement with her, as this country, as we sit here after 40 plus years of runaway capitalist pillaging, Is decidedly unequal. The problem here is that simply knowing that something is statistically better doesn't solve the underlying issues. It's like telling someone in a food desert that organic vegetables are healthier. They might want them, but they can't access them. Similarly, for many Americans, the path to marriage and stable family life is obstructed by systemic issues that plague us and must be addressed. Now, what's intriguing is how Kearney's findings are being co-opted by conservatives, to argue that liberal values and policies have eroded the nuclear family, leaving children worse off. But let's look closer at the facts. It's not about a cultural rejection of marriage or a feminist disdain for the nuclear family. Most people still aspire to get married. The real issue is decades of policy making that have exacerbated inequality, undermined the working class, and left many men underemployed and adrift. These policies have made it harder for women to control their own fertility and find suitable partners, particularly for those without college degrees. And that is where the decline of marriage is more pronounced. College-educated Americans may marry later, but they have higher rates of marriage and lower rates of single parenthood. And this discrepancy is not about rejecting marriage, but about economic stability and opportunity. The stark inequities also emerge along racial lines, reflecting a multifaceted problem. And this isn't a simple case of liberal or feminist ideas undermining marriage. It's about the impact of conservative policies. At the heart of this marriage gap are men. In communities where men have better employment prospects and are less likely to be incarcerated, adults are more likely to marry and have children within marriage. In lower-income communities, men have been disproportionately affected by deaths of despair, underemployment, and mass incarceration. This isn't about blaming us men but understanding how societal challenges have shaped the marriage landscape. Women have made significant strides in recent years, with increased employment and financial independence. This progress means that fewer women feel compelled to attach themselves to a man for economic security. However, for some women, the prospect of marriage may still be desirable, but they find themselves in situations where it's not feasible due to a lack of suitable partners. So what can we do to address this surge in births outside of marriage? and the challenges faced by single parents. There are policy solutions that could be more consequential than we could ever imagine. As Filipovic writes, An expanded child tax credit, for example, cut child poverty in America by nearly half, but then Republican lawmakers refused to extend it, and child poverty rates surged back up. Easily accessible, affordable, and legal abortion and contraception would allow women to plan their families. Republicans, though, are on an abortion ban tear. A universal child care scheme would help single parents to work, which would in turn raise their household incomes. Republicans oppose it. A higher minimum wage would put more money in the pockets of families who need it. Republican-led states are less likely than Democratic ones to raise it, and Republicans in Congress broadly oppose a federal increase. As unions currently fight for workers' rights and better treatment, the most prominent Democrats are standing in solidarity with them. Republicans have spent decades gutting union power. Democrats have tried valiantly to increase the number of kids who are insured and can get health care. Republicans have opposed them. And speaking of which, how many people struggle because they're trapped in a job just so they have health care? How many tentacles of mental and emotional health issues does that alone entangle around everyday people and families? So it's clear that simply lecturing women to get married before having children and shaming single moms isn't a viable solution. What does work is providing both women and men with the opportunity to build stable, supportive, and financially viable relationships while supporting all children, regardless of their parents' marital status. And it's essential to recognize again that the hurdles to achieving this ideal family structure in America are not the result of liberal or feminist ideals. Instead, they stem from conservative policies and their impact on economic and social stability. Here's a striking auto worker telling it like it is regarding temp workers, who as a result of the tiered system in the plants do the same work as full-timers but are paid much less. How is that in any way conducive to stability? We'll give her the last word. Enough said.
2: When I started off, I was what they consider a TPT. I was only allowed to work three days. It was a struggle. I, would, I had one kid at the time, a single mom, and... They wanted us to, you know, do backbreaking work like everybody else, but not. We don't get all the benefits. So I know exactly how they feel, because now it's even worse. They're forcing them to work seven days a week, you know, and then it's like, why is that fair? That they work harder than a lot of us, because I'm a full timer now, so I do get the benefits of being allowed days off. Well, why is it fair that somebody that makes thirteen dollars less than me can't get a day off? Why is that fair? So, you talk about, I know it was a while ago, but if you had, like, a one-year-old and you're working this job and you were making much less, must have been tough back then. Um. Well, you know, at the time, when, uh, right before I went full-time, my son, he was four, so he was about to enter kindergarten, and it was just, like, a lot I was thinking about. It. I'm like, okay. How am I going to pay for daycare? Who's going to get him to school? Because at this time, I was also driving from Detroit. I'm originally from Detroit. So I was driving back and forth all those miles for four years. I eventually moved out here, yes. So That's like an hour drive. Yes, give or take. Because sometimes it was an hour and a half, depending on construction or whatever. And that's a lot coming and going and still trying to raise a kid because it's like, I'm coming to work because I need the money. But then now I'm missing time with my baby. So it's like, how can you really compensate for that? It, it, so I think that's another reason why I wanted to be fair because I do know how hard it is for these people who are making a lot less than me because now I have two kids, but I'm making it do, you know. But what about those who have two kids and making $13 less than me? Like that's crazy to me, you know. And I get there are people who think we don't deserve this, but I feel like I've always I was always taught that there's always better no matter what situation you're in you can always do better you can find better or whatever so we want to make the best of what we have for my kids also I want them to be able to come into a future where there's jobs that are being paid equally for the work because why is it fair that some people are making barely anything and they're breaking their bodies out just like me
0: so thanks for listening if you'd like to support the show you can find Labor Force on Spotify for podcasters and select the level, starting at just a dollar a month. Also, please share, rate, and review to help others find the show. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And speaking of listening and broadening your worker contact, the Labor Force podcast is now affiliated with the Labor Radio Podcast Network, an indispensable labor source where you can find many more shows like this one. You can check it out at laborradionetwork.org. Until next time. Take care and stay union strong.